0: All right, well, good morning, everybody. Thank you, thank you, worship team, for leading us in our, our worship and song this morning. Uh, it's good to be together. It's good to see you here today. Um, welcome to our gathering. My name is Levi Brennan. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Redeemer Church. And uh, we actually have a couple of other full-time pastors here, but they're both gone today. So um, I have no idea what's going to happen now this morning. We'll just see. All the, uh, all the chains are released now, so we'll see. Um, No, we're we're shuffling things around a little bit today. For those of you who don't uh, regularly attend here or don't know it already, I'm typically um, part of the worship and song team. Um, But today I'm sliding over into the pulpit to to preach this morning. And so it's just a privilege to get to do that from time to time. And uh, this happens to be one of those mornings where that's happening. So uh, glad to be here. Glad that, that we're here together. Before we go to our text today, let's just say a, another word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll open up our Bibles here. Heavenly Father, thank you for, uh, just for this, um, this space in our day, in our week, Lord, where we stop and we gather together as a, as a people who, haven't, who have been formed, God, in a supernatural way by you. You have, you've called us uh, by name, Lord, you have revealed uh, your Son, Jesus, and um, we're forever changed, God, because of that, and you. And we just recognize that you are forming a people, a family uh, in your name that is uh, amazingly, it's hard to imagine how it works, but it's amazingly uh, even deeper and stronger than than our, our blood family, God. It's a spiritual family, and, and you are uh, just doing an amazing work, and so we thank you for the chance for us to gather today, Lord, and to... Um, honor you and to to worship you, Jesus, to fellowship with you and with one another. I just pray, God, that as we go to the text this morning, Lord, that you would minister to our hearts, uh, that you would help us to uh, slow down enough, Jesus, in our thoughts just to hear from you. We ask that your Spirit would speak to us this morning in ways that may go beyond what I say here today, but that your Spirit uh, can can do. And so we just pray for that as well, Lord, that you would uh, minister to our souls, Jesus, and, um, and be, be glorified uh, this morning. And in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, CNN published an article this week and, uh, that uh, talked about, you might have seen it, um, about uh, a new medical diagnosis. Burnout is now an official Medical diagnosis. I don't know, we talk about burnout all the time, but it is officially been uh, um, by the World Health Organization uh, made official. So here's what it looks like to be diagnosed with burnout, you'd have to have these three symptoms in your life. All three of them are required, by the way, and they, gotta, they have to eliminate other options as well. But here you go three symptoms of burnout. Number one, feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion. My seven-month-old did not sleep last night, so I'm like, yeah, there we go. That's, that's one of them for sure. I can feel that one uh, acutely here today. Number two, here's another symptom of burnout. Increased mental distance from one's job or feelings of negativism or cynicism related to one's job. Okay? I think we all maybe have felt that at different times in our lives. Maybe you're feeling that this morning. Maybe you're two for two so far. And number three, reduced professional efficacy. That is effectiveness, right? Your success, ability to, to perform in your workplace. Number three, if you have these three, then you might be you might be burned out. And they're, at this point, they're just applying it to your workplace. I sort of am taking that and thinking, what about just all of life? Can we just say this is, there's something about this that we feel... Uh, throughout our lives at different times all the times, all the time. And we can relate to this because we just really do feel it. We live in a, a high stress kind of kind of culture. We're, we're busy. Uh, we're pressurized. We feel pressure a lot of times. If you're a student, just a few weeks ago you came through finals week and you're feeling it very much. You, feel, you felt like during final week all three of those things would have applied to you. I don't even care anymore about life. How am I ever gonna get through this and and yet you made it. You're here today. But we feel it. We can even feel it. This is interesting. We can feel it in Minnesota when the summer finally when the the weather finally gets nice and it's summertime. You know, it's seventy two degrees and sunny and we're just Oh my goodness, I gotta we gotta get outside. We gotta make sure we're making the most of this day. Kids, get out. We don't even know what we're doing, but we're gonna get outside and we're gonna have fun outside today and Pressure, pressure, pressure. Even good things can cause us to feel like a sense of, of pressure. So that's, what we're, that's, that's the condition that our text speaks to us today. This, this feeling, perhaps you call it burnout, perhaps you just call it deep tiredness, worn out, heaviness, Anxiousness, whatever, those, whatever the best description might be for you this morning. It's that, that sense, that general feeling. So turn to Matthew chapter 11. That's where we're going to go today. It speaks to us in this place. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. <clears throat> I'll just read the text here says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You know, the whole, the context here of Matthew chapter 11 is that Jesus, he's he's just finished at this point. He's clarified to John the Baptist and then to his disciples as well that he really is the Messiah that that was to come, that Israel had been waiting for. Um, But John, at this point, has been in prison for a while now. Uh, And understandably, he's starting to second-guess a little bit. Like, is Jesus who we thought he was? And Jesus assures John and his disciples that he is, but he's clearly doing things differently than John expected. And others would have expected. So John, on the one hand, misunderstands how Jesus' ministry is going to work. And on the other hand, there's a lot of people who just disregard Jesus at this point. They have disregarded Jesus at this point. He did these powerful works already, these miracles in Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum. It's in chapter 11 there. And he was received mostly with a hard-hearted, kind of stubborn unbelief, like very little repentance. Jesus is doing this, and he's not being received very well disregarded and misunderstood, and in this moment, Jesus does not despair, but he actually turns to the Father and prays a prayer of thanks, thanking the Father that He has revealed Jesus. He's revealed the Son to little children, just to little children. That is, to people who were generally not considered very great or extremely wise or powerful in their culture. God has revealed. Jesus to little children surprising everyone and then he turns by extension to to those little children but by extension to all who believe and he says this come to me read it again come to me little children all who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. If you ever watch a—probably have at some point a beautiful sunset, maybe on a lake, maybe just in a, a field or whatever it might look like, a beautiful sunset, and you're with someone, you, you, you might know, like, man, the best way to enjoy this moment is really just in silence. You just watch it. You just let it be what it is, you, you step back and just take it in. And I feel a little bit of that tension with this text here this morning. It, it, it flows nice. It, it lands on us well. It's almost soothing just to read it over and over. And so with a certain degree of, of like, I don't want to mess up this beautiful, <laughs> this beautiful picture, these words of comfort for us who are weary and heavy laden, um, with a certain degree of tension, I want to dive into this, trusting that the Lord has... Comforting, encouraging words for us this morning. So um, what I have is just the question how do we respond to this call that Jesus makes? And I have listed five responses to Jesus' call here in these verses. The first response is simply to give Jesus your attention. Give Jesus your attention. The very first thing to notice here is that the call to, to come to me is actually a very different call than follow me. Come to me and follow me are, very, are, are quite different. In Greek, it's the same word, but the context drives the, the, the uh, understanding of that word in different directions a little bit. Um, in Matthew 4 9, we see the same word translated, follow me, Jesus talking. He says, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. The idea is Jesus is taking disciples. I'm going to train you. I'm going to to show you a new thing. We're going to make fishers of men. So come with me. I want to show you something new. In Matthew 9.9, he just tells Matthew straight up, just follow me. And then Matthew literally goes and follows Jesus. It's this idea of going and walking with Jesus, being discipled, imitating him, mentoring under him, working alongside of him. Follow me implies like an ongoing action. Jesus talks about elsewhere to pick up your cross, right? And to follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. Here we go. It's this idea of being on a journey. And you don't know the end point of the journey. At some point, God's going to call you home. But it's just a journey. It's a daily walk with Jesus. But come to me, the text we're looking at today, come to me is very different. It has like this end point to it. When you come, you, when you get there, you stop. And then what do you do when you get there? Well, you pay attention. You just stop and you pay attention. I think Jesus, you know, for the hearers that would have heard him right here in this moment in Matthew 11, it would have meant, like, just get physically close to me. Get, get close enough to where you can hear me talk. Get, get close enough to where we can, like, be together. Just be with me. Believe my words. Receive my love and my healing. Be refreshed. Be revived. Let your guard down. Stop your other activity that you're doing. I see you. I know you. I know what you need. Just come close to me and stop. Come close to me and pay attention to me. I want your undivided attention right now. And I I think about this with parenting. I've got four kids, and there's... Lots of times where, where my instruction is follow me, like here we go, we're heading out the door, um, come on again, come on, <laughs> get, out, get in the car, or we're going to go outside and we're going we're to go clean up the yard or something like that. That's this idea of, of come with me, kids. We're doing something together. But that's a really different thing than when I tell one of my kids to, to, to come here. Come here is a very different kind of moment it could be that one of them uh, hurt themselves. You skinned your knee, you stubbed your toe, and you're crying. Well, the, the call there, what I'm doing is, come here. I just want to hold you. <laughs> Tell me what happened. That mean chair got you again? That step that, that, that was a little bit too big got, got you again? Tell me about it. Describe your pain. Do we need a Band-Aid? It's, it's come to me and just stop. I just want your attention. I just want to be with you. And I want you to be with me. Or come here, I want to explain something to you. I want to tell you something, but I want your attention, no matter what what it is. I, I just want your attention. I think Jesus is saying something like that here. Come to me. I want your worship. I want your heart. I just want you. It's a personal call. It's an invitation to relationship with Jesus. And it follows the gentle tone of what comes next in this verse, right? Whose attention is Jesus wanting? We read it, all who are weary and heavy laden. He, he's, he's wanting those who feel the burdens of this life, who know that they're, they're too weak to overcome these burdens. He wants these people to come close to him. And on one level, this is basically just a very simple gospel call to place your faith in, in Jesus. Like, come and believe in me. Trust in me for the forgiveness of your sins. You don't have to do any more work to get to me. You're not going to improve your standing along the way. Just come to me. I will remove your guilt. Trust in me. Even with your sin and your shame, I'll I'll, I'll lift that off of you. So that's one really, something we just don't want to miss in this text. It's just a very simple call. Come and trust in me. Come and and receive forgiveness today. And that's a call we want, we, that still stands today may it go out this morning to you if if there's if that's if that's just what you came here and you needed to hear today again was a call to come and receive the forgiveness of Jesus stop carrying your heavy load and stop trying to to earn and and work and labor hard at, at making God look at you better just just come come to him today for those who are already trusting in Christ, you, you know that even in that state of, I, I am trusting in Christ, I am clinging to Christ, I'm walking with Jesus, there's still like a deep weariness and a heaviness that you can feel in this life oftentimes. And it's, it's noteworthy to say that even though we can feel that at times, we, we often, like, we'll try not to admit it. We'll say, like, I'm not that tired. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so, and so we, we grab, which is a great verse, by the way, but we maybe misapply that, thinking like, well, I'm not that weary. I'm not that tired. I'm quite strong, actually. I'm going to do more. I'm, gonna do, I'm weary and heavy laden, but I'm going to do more than I should right now. More for God. I'm going to do more for my family. I'm going to do more for myself in a kind of a self-centered way. I'm going to do more work. I'm going to do more in my neighborhood. And we almost kind of like I don't want to even admit that I might be one of these weak and weary little children. That's not me. That's not a description of me. And and we have a little bit of this battle sometimes where on the one side we say, "Yeah, that's me. I feel it." And the other side it's but the choices I make make it seem like I just I got to do more and I got to keep striving and I got to keep on working and earning and all these things. And again, I think we just got to step back and say, "Man, Jesus is calling you who are weary and heavy laden to come to me and pay attention to me. Stop being so busy. Be attentive. Sit at my feet. Worship Jesus. Talk to him. Pray, ponder, these kinds of things. Just come. So that's one way to respond is really just to give Jesus our attention. Another way is to explore your weariness. Just explore it a little bit. Try to understand it. Why? Why? Why are you so weary and heavy laden? What, what's maybe behind that? L- uh, looking at the text, we see that one of the big reasons for the weary and heavy laden feelings of these people here in, in, uh, in Israel at this time is that they are, they've are they been um, heavy laden with a, a legalistic religion, a, a super legalistic religion. That word for heavy laden It's actually similar to a word that means overloaded burden that you'd place on an animal. So it's just packing way too much on your mule and wondering why it's not moving kind of thing. Uh, And in this context, we can, it's safe to say that, man, the, the heavy ladenness that these people feel, the weariness has a lot to do with the 613 commands and prohibitions placed on them by the Pharisees and the religious leaders, think about that, 613 things to remember that you can and cannot do. Just pound it on you every single day. There's no way you can live up to the pressure. There's no way you're checking every box and you, you live with this. Day in and day out, it's heavy. Later in chapter 23 of Matthew, Jesus says, the Pharisees, they tie up heavy burdens. They, talking about the Pharisees, tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, And lay them on the people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. And here in our where we're looking at in chapter eleven, the next chapter of Matthew, we see that the Pharisees they 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 jump all over Jesus because on the Sabbath the disciples and him are walking along a field, and the the disciples some of them grab some grain and they just eat it as they're walking, and the Pharisees are like. Technically, that's work. Technically, Jesus, that's work. And they're breaking the Sabbath today. Your disciples, Jesus, are breaking the Sabbath right now. It's not lawful for them. And Jesus points out that in their twisted way of thinking about Sabbath and keeping Sabbath and technicalities, because in another place here in Matthew 12, they, 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 they tell Jesus, you can't heal either on the Sabbath. You can't have a, some grain from the field, and, you, and you, can't, you can't heal on the Sabbath. That's technically work, Jesus. You can't do that either. And Jesus just points out, you realize that you're treating a sheep with more compassion. You're treating an animal with more compassion than a human being. And he disregards them. But the point that I'm trying to make here is just that, that this is the culture. This is the feel This is the oppressed people. This is why they're so oppressed, is they live under this all the time of don't break this rule and don't do this thing wrong. And if you do, not only will your neighbor point it out, but at the highest levels of leadership, you'll be condemned for these things. It's just everywhere. It's just weighty. Mark Buchanan says this in a little book called The Rest of God. He says, Legalism is the reduction of life to mere technicalities. It substitutes code for conscience, ritual for worship, rectitude for holiness, morality for purity. The most bizarre lines of reasoning appear completely natural to a legalist. And that's why Pharisees can say, like, you can't heal on the Sabbath. That's where they get that. It makes perfectly good sense. But I can rescue my sheep. I mean, that makes sense. It's, it's just... It, it, To them, it would make sense. And we look at it and we say, that's crazy. I would add to this list of legalism, just a few of my own comments would be that it, it downplays the priority of love. Love gets dropped in legalistic culture. It avoids personal confession. It promotes spiritual competitiveness look at each other and see whose who's, who's family who seems more spiritual here who's doing it better and, I would, and lastly it keeps one from genuine fellowship it's hard to fellowship with people when you're competing with them all the time in your heart but it's very sneaky because, because it looks good. It's concerned about good things. Legalism's a sneaky thing because it seems to care about what's spiritual and all of that. But the aim of it, the aim of legalism really at the end of the day is that is appearances. I want to appear a certain way and I don't really care. I don't even think much about what's going on in my heart. That's not much of a concern of mine. What's A concern of mine is what you think of me. This is this is the, the result of legalism. This is this is how it works itself out. The heart, eh. Yeah, don't worry about that so much. How are you performing? How are you doing? How do you measure up to the person next to you? How do you just measure up to your own standard that maybe you've imposed on yourself in some way? This is these are the questions it asks, and it's heavy. It's it wears you down. <clears throat> and before we rush past this and say, uh, so thankful Jesus defeated legalism, you know, and took care of it all, and showed the Pharisees what was going on. Uh, I wish it was that simple, but the fact is, it it, it kind of remains in us. There's a there's a part of our hearts that likes that is drawn toward legalistic tendencies. I wish it wasn't true, but it is, and it's and none of us really fully escape it. We have this part of us. That, that wants the competition and wants to feel better about ourselves. And, and legalism is a great way to kind of figure that out or, or to feel better about yourself. And it, can sh- it shows up in, in things that we should genuinely care about. Genuinely care about, but with an attitude of, I know what God says here, and you don't, apparently, as much. It shows up in how often... We serve or don't serve in the nursery, perhaps. Just in our own, just thinking about life here as as people in Christ Redeemer Church. It can show up there. It can show up in uh, whether you have decided to homeschool or private school or public school your children. Legalism can thrive in any one of those three things. doesn't matter which one. It can thrive there. Legalism can thrive in your opinions and thoughts about alcohol or clothing or length of hair or a length of a skirt or how much you read the Bible, how much you pray. You can read the Bible and pray just to feel better about yourself. I've done it. I mean, that, that's what we can do. We can just impose sort of these technicalities that we get caught up in. And all of that produces, all of that basically is symptomatic of the fact that that's, that comes from legalistic kind of thinking is what it is. And so we're not immune to it. It tempts us. And it's sneaky. And it's something we just need to stop and, and recognize and take our time with a little bit. Again, issues like that are important to think through. It's, it's good. I mean, yeah, talk to Jesus about it. Um, be in fellowship with people. Um, recognize the leading of the Spirit in your own conscience is helpful here. But... <clears throat> You get in trouble when you take something that's a gray issue and you impose, like God says it exactly this way. And you, and, and you impose that either on yourself or on other people. There's a lot of freedom that we have in Christ and, and there's, there's a certain tension that we have to live with. And grace that we have to live with for, for one another. But here's the thing. Jesus is calling these people. They're not not legalistic. They live in this culture. So we can come to Jesus even with like our sort of legalistic tendencies. Come to Jesus. Come and be with me. Let's have a different kind of relationship. I want to show you a different kind of relationship that you can have And so I just think the best way really to even combat our own inner inner legalism thing, that that voice that can pop up, is really just to be with Jesus, just to read the Gospels, just to see what he says, read what he says, talk to Jesus. Um, That's that's a huge, it's probably the best way to combat our own sort of legalistic tendencies. So come, you who live with that struggle, and be and, and find rest in me. So that's one area. I think that's the main thing that's going on in Matthew 11, their situation. But I just want to add a couple things to that. One, I I think we can be weary simply because we're just overly busy. We're just a very busy people. We have a lot of things to do. We have lots of options in this life, don't we? And the capacity might be different from one family to the next family, but we all have the same danger, and that is that we just overextend ourselves. We just drink a lot of caffeine to keep going, we drive really fast to get to where we got while we're texting, you know, and, and driving quickly from here to there. We, we try to have a conversation with someone while we, while we have 20 text conversations happening all at the same time. And we're ordering groceries on Hy-Vee on the side, too. You know, it's just this. We try to do tons of things all at one time. We're a very, very busy people. No time to rest. No time to stop. Summer's here. We got to get going. This is not. This is not rest time. This is get going time. Stuff like that. Busy, busy people, and our weariness. Just in exploring our weariness, it can also come simply from the fact that we live in a, a fallen world. We get sick. People we know get sick. Finances are tight. Our work is never finished. Our kids are making foolish decisions. People we love pass away in death. Marriage is lonely. Family is broken. Work is stressful. Work is maybe just boring. The future is scary. True friendship is hard to find. God seems far away. This list could go on and on and you could fill it out in, in your own ways, but that's, that's heavy. That's, that's weary. That, 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 that can be a burden to us. And Jesus is calling to you who are heavy laden and weary for any reason at all to come to Jesus and just talk to him about why you're so weary, why you're so heavy laden, and, and just, just that. And don't do anything else. Just do that. Just come and talk to Jesus about why that might be. Maybe you don't have an answer to why that might be. And your question is, God, why am I so heavy laden and weary? What, what's going on with me? I don't even understand it. And let the Lord kind of reveal some things to you. So that's number two. Number three would be to receive God's grace. Receive God's grace. Verse 28, again, it says this. Come to me, all who are weary. And here's the grace. And I will give you rest. I will give you rest. The rest that he's talking about here, though, it's not like, um, it's not like a self-indulgent sort of relaxation. It's not an invitation to be a self-centered slug that lays on the couch and doesn't do anything, ever. Um, It's not that kind of thing. It's a call, here it is, to consciously enjoy living in right relationship with God. To consciously enjoy just the fact that you live in a right relationship with God. Exodus 33, 14 is is, a... Remarkably similar to this verse, it says, as God talking to Moses, he says to Moses, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Same words, I will give you rest. And there, you know, back in Exodus, if you remember, he's talking about, at that point, Israel has come out of Egypt, slavery, and bondage, all that representing very much for us just just a life under sin and condemnation and death. Israel's come out of that, through the wilderness, and they're heading to the promised land. And and God is uh, telling Moses that I'm going to give you rest. And that promised land was a place where they would live in covenant with God. They would worship God. They would have a, um, the blessings of God on them as they did all of this. It's just a picture. It's very much a picture of what we now call salvation. We now rest in the finished work of Christ. That's, that is that is. Our, 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 our rest that we have received. And that's really what's going on here. It's not the only thing going on here, but there is a call to say, just rest in the finished work of Jesus. It's one strand, though. There's another strand of rest, maybe over here. Think of it kind of like that. There's another strand of rest that actually goes back to Genesis chapter 2, where God has just finished creating the entire world, the universe, everything in it. And it says this in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So another strand of rest. Here we have salvation resting in the finished work of Christ. And then we have this thing called Sabbath that happened back in Genesis 2. Before any law was written, before any Ten Commandments were given, we have rest woven into creation itself. God rested. God rested. He, he, he wasn't exhausted. You know, God didn't get tired. He didn't get finished with creation earlier than he anticipated and didn't just say, well... Uh, We'll take a day off. I guess we'll take a day off. I don't know what to do. It wasn't like that. The Sabbath, and and this is is awesome, the Sabbath was really the high point of creation. It all culminates to this moment of rest for God. D.A. Carson says it more like this. He says that God's final creative act was not the making of man, but the making of a period of rest for mankind let that let that land. It, it just says man, god wasn 't like here's, god wasn 't frantically reworking or tweaking things on the seventh day he didn 't have a couple more adjustments to make. It was finished, it was good, it was exactly how he wanted it to be, and because of the, the way it gets kind of worked out, we see that his ceasing from activity, his, his, his ceasing from any more creative work is just a way of saying it's, it's totally done. It's exactly the way I mean for it to be. And so he kind of settles into creation as the sovereign creator of the universe, fully at peace, nothing more to do. Everything's just working the way it's supposed to be working. And there God sits, throned on high, looking at his very good creation. That's the first rest. That's a strand over here of Sabbath. This is what this looks like is, is, is just God himself actually rested. And so for us, there's a very simple biblical application for us here, isn't there? It's to take an act, a biblical Sabbath rest in our lives. If it worked into the rotation of creation, on the seventh day God rested, then let's grab that and let's not just throw that to the side and say, man, maybe there's something just really good for my soul to learn about Sabbath keeping. Like, really try to take a, a Sabbath the way it's, it's meant to be taken. Stop being super productive on the Sabbath. Celebr- celebrate the fact that it's a Sabbath. For you, it's, it might be Sunday. For me, it's, a different, it's usually Monday because I, I don't work on Monday. But what we're doing is we are affirming that God sovereignly rules over us and all of creation. I, I'm just affirming it. I'm saying yes to it, I'm saying this is good we're saying i'm not an autonomous being i'm not a self-sufficient being i don't i don't i am contingent my life is contingent on god and i trust him so like when we stop productivity when we stop doing the stuff that makes money and keeps you know keeps business going or whatever we're just acknowledging that that god is the giver of life i do my work but god is the giver of life and it settles into your heart and it's it's a grace that God gives to rest. Jesus says in Matthew 16 that whoever tries to, to save his life, this idea of grabbing onto your life, whoever tries to save it, clinging to it, white knuckles, like I've got this my life, and you're panicking about your life, and every like there's just no sense of restful. Like I'm holding on to my life. Do that. And Jesus says, whoever does that loses his life. But whoever tries to save his life. Oh, sorry, but whoever tries to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And I think Sabbath is a way to lose your life a little bit and just say, yeah, it's not, I got to let up a little bit. I got to take my foot off the pedal. I got to just sit back and and remember that that God is in control here and he's, he's good and I'm happy to take a rest, an intentional rest in God. So Sabbath is one grace that God gives us, I think. Another grace we find in this text here is that there's an easy yoke. A yoke is uh, not a word we use real often, but here it says in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And in verse 30, it says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A yoke is, uh, it's actually a wooden beam. I got a picture of a, a yoke on the screen for you. It's a wooden beam that you would fit on an animal um, so that the animal could like pull a cart or pull a plow or something like that. You you fit it on there, and the animal can now do its work. And if the yoke fit really well, the animal would work really well, actually. The work would be relatively easy, and it would just plod along, and and it worked the way it was supposed to. But if the yoke didn't fit very well, the work would have been hard and, and painful, and maybe the animal would have been difficult to handle too I don't know but just it, it just wouldn't work the way it's supposed to and the yoke here really it's just a metaphor it's a metaphor for for Jesus people and what it is it's it's this demand the bad fitting yoke is this demand by by Pharisees by religious leaders that that they need to live up to these ethical standards it's this this heavy burden of legalistic law that is placed on them and it just just doesn't fit right it just doesn't work the way it's supposed to work and so so jesus is stepping into that and saying well my yoke is easy my yoke's different than that yoke my yoke is easy and my burden is light a few months ago when i was came across this text in my just my regular bible reading time um, my my question that I pondered then was why why is the yoke easy and his burden light? He still has one. Like you don't just lose a yoke. You don't just lose this idea that you're going to work and do some things. But why is it easy? Why why what makes it easy and light? Because it doesn't really say like exactly how that works. But if you think if you go back, so I was reading through Matthew and I was thinking about well Matthew five, Jesus seems to. If you we're not going to go into Matthew 5 right now but Jesus seems to like up the ante of expectations for God's people. He says things like you've heard it said that you should not murder. I'm saying don't be angry. So the line isn't murder, it's it's the anger that that moves someone into like those kinds of even those thoughts like I would just love to kill that person. And Jesus ups the ante. He says, adultery itself, that's not the line that you need to be concerned with. What's going on in your heart? Just lustful longing in your heart that you give free reign, there is the problem. So he ups the ante for people. Or this, like, you can't, it's, it's not enough that you just love your friends. You, he calls us to love our, our enemies and to do good to those who persecute you. You don't even have the right to hate your enemy. How is his yoke easier? It seems, in some ways, if you get me in the right mood, it seems like it's harder. This is a harder yoke than, than, um, than the Pharisees, but yet he says this is an easier yoke. This, is, this fits you better. And the reason for that, number four, is because of who Jesus is, it's found in his character. Remember God's character. He says, Jesus Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for, or because, that could be translated because, I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. So because I am gentle, because of who I am, I'm lowly in heart, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's it's because of who I am, Jesus is saying. If you think about it, you think, think like this. You go to work. Maybe this has been your situation at times. Maybe you're in this situation right now and you work for a boss who is is harsh and judgmental and um, berates you and shames you and constantly points out your flaws, tells you how you're you're failing. You're a miserable worker. I don't know why I put up with you. This is the feeling you get at your workplace, whether it's said or, or not said. Think of... Being in a situation like that, or maybe even maybe you've experienced that in in your home, maybe there's something in in your history where it's like I lived with this feeling of like I can never live up, I can never, um, I can never just feel feel like I'm, I'm loved and, and cared about something something like that. It doesn't matter what you're doing in those environments; it's a heavy load, it's a burden. You you cannot win. It's it's not because of the work. It's because of who you work for. It's because of who's leading you, who, who you're under. It has everything to do with that, and very little to actually do with the work itself. But flip that. If you are led by someone, or you work for someone who loves you, who's patient with you, who supports you, who doesn't criticize you, who's not heaping shame on you, isn't trying to make you feel stupid for the mistakes that you make, you feel deeply a sense of like I can do anything because even if I mess it up, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be put to shame for it. My my boss still is gonna care about me. My my father's still gonna love me. My mom's still gonna love me. And it, it's, it's the, the character of the leader makes all the difference. So that's why his burden is easy and his is his, uh, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Is because of who he is. He's gentle and he's humble and he loves you. And I just add at this point, it doesn't say it here in Matthew 11 because it's traveling, it's going through things in a certain way, but we know from other parts of Scripture that the Holy Spirit has been given to God's people to be their helper. So what you're, what you're called to do, the things that you do in your life on a daily basis that God calls you to do, you have... You have God himself helping you, strengthening, giving you the grace that you need to to go out and do what you're doing. And so I just got to place that in there as well. That God's spirit walks with you and helps you. So remember God's character. And number five. A final way, a final way to respond to this call, this very compassionate call from from Jesus to to come to him uh, is in uh, verse 28. Number five is just to look forward to your eternal rest. Look forward to your eternal rest. Verse 28 says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you Rest. There's a, future, there's a futureness to that I will give you. It's, it's coming still. In some ways, you're going to experience in this life the rest that I have. Uh, a, a good Sabbath rhythm in life is going to help you with that. A good leaning into Jesus and being with Jesus is going to help you understand the rest. But there's a future rest that, that is on its way still for you. Hebrews 4, 9 says it this way, uh, verses 9 and 10. Uh, so then there remains, remains a Sabbath rest. Or you could translate that celebration. There remains a Sabbath celebration for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. That's our, that's our future. That's, that's coming to us. Mark Buchanan, I, I mentioned him earlier, he also says this, that I think is helpful in thinking about this new creation that is coming, that God will do in the future here. He says the future, it shapes you as much as the past or the present, maybe more. Destiny, every bit as much as history, determines identity. I'll read that again. Destiny, your future, every bit as much as your history, your past, determines your identity, who you are. There's a, there's a time in life where, and probably lots of times in life, honestly, where we should look past, look look in the past, look at the history. Where did I come from? Try to understand better some of your struggles, some of like who you are. It can be helpful to look back in the past and and try to understand that better. But it's also helpful to look forward to what is to come, to know who you are. Because if you're trusting in Christ, then you're a child of God and what that means is your future is very bright and it's hopeful. So, so thinking about the future helps to remind you of who you are right now. God's God's favor has has, uh, been given to you and you are sons and daughters of God. So just to think about it, to dream about it, to reflect on it, to look forward to this new creation that is coming where there's no sin, there's no brokenness, there's no, heaviness, heavy ladenness it is good just to stop and to know that that is coming and to not feel like a fool for talking about it I know it's June but if you can think about Christmas for a minute with me in closing here think about Christmas just for a second here I know there's some people who keep Christmas music on all year Um, some of them aren't here actually right now but maybe there's others too who uh, keep Christmas going Christmas music going all year. You know the joy of Christmas really is more so in the anticipation of it than than almost anything. It's this delight, it's this looking forward. I know there's the headache of it to some degree, but but there is a true delight and joy and excitement in looking forward to celebrating the birth of Christ. There's just this it's 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 such a it's such a wonderful time together. The presence and uh, the meals and the food and the singing and um, the family being together, having time off work, having time off school. It's something you spend kind of all of December like, oh, it's, it's coming, I'm so excited for this. If you wake up on December, on December 25th and that's the first time you think about Christmas, you're probably in trouble for one, but <laughs> you've kind of missed it. You, you sort of miss the joy of it all if, if you just didn't do anything. You never thought about it anticipation makes it exciting. And I think when we think about our future, to be people who just kind of imagine what that looks like. Let's, let's just talk about what it looks like and look forward to what it looks like. A, a world where there's no, there is no death. There is no shame. There, it's, just, it's the way it's meant to be. And then we're, we're resting in a way that we've never fully experienced. I just think... Just common talk that we have is, is more and more like that where we just talk about what's to come. Anticipate it, enjoy it, knowing that it's, it's on its way. And it'll be a lot better than Christmas. So it's worth, it's worth it. It's worth it to, to stop and to think about it. But all of, this, all of these things just take like some stopping and some slowing down to, to stop and to think and to reflect my future this eternal rest is going to be—it's just going to be awesome. It's going to be glorious and awesome, and man, I'm really looking forward to it and to sing about it and to celebrate it and to enjoy uh, that future and the little moments along the way in this life where God does give us some rest—is um, good. Uh, those are good responses to to Jesus' call here. So, so let's anticipate it. Let's look forward to that together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I just want to thank you for um, this promise. We thank you for this promise today that you will give us um, a rest, a Sabbath uh, that, that we just desperately need, we long for, we look forward to. Thank you, God, that you've given us, even now, your Spirit. We have Christ. We have places to go where we can... We, um, moments in our week, moments in our day even, Lord, where we can stop and we can just intentionally rest. Stop doing so much. Um, stop carrying heavy loads. And just come and, and be with you and receive the... Um, receive the the ministry that you give us god so help us to be a people lord even thinking about the summer where we are heading into the summer god i pray that it would be a restful summer for us as your people i pray lord there'd just be a, a certain even with the busyness we're, we're still going to be people that are doing things but god please help us to see what it would look like to to, to rest in the midst of that god and help us to, to stop and to just to receive that promise uh, in our lives, Lord. We need help with it. We just keep going and going and going. And we need help, Lord, to, to stop and to slow down and to just rest in you, Jesus. Help us to be honest about our heaviness and our, our, our weariness that we feel. Help us not to pretend like it's not there and that all we really need to do is just push harder and it'll go away. God, help us to stop and just recognize you're a compassionate God. You know our limits. Help us to know ours better. And to, co- to stop and to come to you, Lord, and trust you. Just trust that you, you, you place limits on us and you're still sovereignly ruling and you're working things out to your, uh, for your glory, for our good. Um, Please, please help us in this, Jesus. Thank you for, again for this, uh, this promise. Thank you for this call. It really is a glorious sunset that just, just is so good for us to stop and receive and hear this morning. And so please help us to do that, God. And uh, it's in your name we pray. Amen.